0: Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when I look out there and I see everybody singing that song because we all know it, I see a lot of frowns, though. I'm not trying to beat nobody up, but he's made me glad. He said, a joyful noise. Has he made you glad? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's a good God. He deserves a smile once in a while, and I love you once in a while. He's a good God, and I'm thankful for everything he's done for me. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read 17, 18, 19, and 20, and then we'll get right into it. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of a every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. So they sought means. They looked for a way to get to Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, somebody say their faith. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are are forgiven thee. Put your Bibles down. Let's pray. God of heaven, have your way in this service. Have your way in my mind, in my heart to lead me to revelation. Lead me to where you want me to be. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated. I'd like to point out just for a second, if I may, in that last verse. When he saw their faith, he said unto the man, your sins are forgiven thee. It's amazing what your faith can do for your brother. It's amazing what your faith can do for your sister. It's amazing how their faith got him his miracle. If you're, if, if you're sitting next to somebody tonight and you think they're just, they've been there every service, they're my brother, they're my sister, they're probably not going through anything different than they were last week, think again and have some faith for your brother and for your sister to get their miracle, to get their healing, to get their forgiveness. Praise God. For a few minutes, I'd like to talk about preparing to meet my hero. Prepare to meet my hero. All right. A hero, someone who at some point made an impact on my life or your life to a point of, of, of causing someone to, to look up to them in esteem. Does that make sense? A hero. We have all have heroes. We all have somebody in our life we look up to. Somebody we, I wouldn't say idolize, but somebody we literally put on a pedestal and we look to them because they're a role model. A hero. A hero can be all types of people. It can be from athletes to presidents, from musicians to singers, from from military figures to fathers and to mothers, grandmothers and to grandfathers. To all, some are heroes. You are somebody's hero whether you believe it or not. Somebody looks up to you. Somebody looks at you when you're not even paying attention, you don't even realize it, and they're looking up because you are their hero. You may not feel that way. You may not feel like anybody even values you or your worth, but someone in your life, whether it be your child, your neighbor, your grandmother even looking down, you are someone's hero, preparing to meet my hero. If you knew beyond any doubt that your hero was going to show up here tonight, you wouldn't miss church for anything. If you knew your hero was going to be at Fred Meyers at 11 p.m., you wouldn't miss going to Fred Myers. You'd make it happen. You'd, you'd set aside every priority. You'd set aside every want, every desire, everything going on in your life because you wanted to meet your hero. Meeting a celebrity can be exciting. Meeting somebody big in your mind can be exciting. It can cause one to wear the finest of their clothes, to part their hair just right, to even brush their teeth. But to some people, to most people, to meet your hero, you're going to act a certain way. You wouldn't stand in front of a, in a line to meet the president. If you were wearing dingy old clothes, hadn't combed your hair in a week, listening to some crazy radio station on your iPod. No, you'd act a certain way. You'd behave yourself or you wouldn't be in that line. If someone's icon was going to be someplace accessible to them at such and such time, they'd make every effort to make it happen. And I'll go a step further. They would even be early. They'd even show up before the time was set. I'm going somewhere. Don't you worry. Now, I have met my share of professional athletes in my life. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Sean Kemp, Carl Malone, Brett Farr, Sterling Sharp, Sammy Sosa, Ryan Sam. I can name several more. I've met several, and every time I have, I was respectful. Yes, can I have your autograph? It's nice to meet you. Finally. Why? Because they were childhood heroes. It was, if, if there was ever such a thing as cloud nine, I was on cloud nine those days. And, and famous musicians and singers, I've met those. But if, but if I learned anything, if I look back on those people I met that I had idolized at some point in my life, I learned one thing now looking back. They were just as human as me. They were just as fleshly as I am. You watch in the news how many, how many people, famous people, are falling to certain things, making this mistake, making that mistake. That's somebody's hero. That's someone that someone's looking up to. It really is. And they're letting people down because they're human. We, we, we idolize human beings to the point of, of something greater than what they really are. I'm not saying we shouldn't reverence and respect people. We ought to give everybody the same respect. Everybody, praise God. Amen. But something on the inside of me wanted to be on my best behavior when I met those people. Something on the inside of me said, be on your A game. Make sure you're respectful. Make sure you pay attention. Don't be rude to them. Don't be pushy on them. It's amazing what humans will do to impress. It's amazing what we'll do to impress somebody. Idolizing people that we admire to the point of worship almost. I'm going somewhere. Don't worry. Rooms decorated with shrines of childhood heroes. Rooms decorated. Every jersey lined out ironed and perfect. If you were going to go to a game, you wore the Aces jersey and you had your Aces hat on and your cow. you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> to the point of almost worship. I'm not saying sports are wrong. Don't get me wrong there. But what I'm saying is, if you had the opportunity to be in the same presence of one of your heroes, you would prepare yourself for it. You would make sure that, that you had your jersey on. You would make sure that they knew you were rooting for them. You didn't go to an Aces game without shouting, without you know, waving a cowbell, without something, because you wanted your team to know, you wanted your player to know, I'm rooting for you. I'm behind you. You did good. That's what humanity will do for their heroes that they get to meet. But did you know there is coming a day where whether, whether you find them a hero or not, Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is coming a day, whether you want to do it or not, you will meet the hero of all heroes. You will meet the Savior of the world. You will meet the one who died on a cross for your sins. He's most unthought of, uncared about, undesired hero of all time. But there's coming a day we better be prepared. We better be ready. We better have our garments spotless Praise God Praise God I wonder what we would do If we knew Jesus was going to be here tonight If we knew Jesus Christ himself in flesh was going to walk through the doors on this here November 14th or whatever it is. I wonder if we really knew that was going to happen, what would we do to make it to that service, to that meeting, to that time? When he was 12 years old, he made his way to a temple and he began to teach people who really knew more than him. If you looked at it versus age wise and humanity and Pharisees and and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't know more than him. If you look at it according to who he was, he made his way one day to a, to a place, to a church front, to tell people the, the way to, to make things happen, the way to make it to heaven, who he was there for, what business he was doing. And you see, his own parents didn't know where he was. But if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was going to meet you here, would you come prepared or would you skip? Would you come ready with your heart in the right place or would you come hoping to finally make it to the right place? I don't care either way if you come to the right place tonight with a right heart or with a wrong heart. It's not too late to prepare to meet our hero. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I'm almost finished. God in all his fullness will have all of his attention on you one day. You are in his attention now. But so is all of humanity. But there will come a day, a meeting time, when it will be your slot to fill. And he will literally pull up to the table and it will be completely focused. The entire being, the entire entity of God will put completely focused on you. It won't be on anybody else's needs. It won't be on anything going on in the world because the world won't no longer exist. It will be completely you and me one-on-one. And that's where... He will tell you either well done or depart from me. But now is when we prepare to meet him. There won't be any preparing once you get to that meeting. There won't be any time left to make decisions. There won't be any time left on the clock that says, oh, one more chance, one more altar call, one more time to repent. There won't be any time when he pulls up that chair and he says, little Richard, this is your life laid out before you. I see this, I see this, but I see the blood of Jesus. Enter in. There is not going to be time to prepare beyond then. I wonder what we would do tonight, church, if we knew our appointed time to meet the maker, the hero of our life. I'm not trying to preach a down and gloom message. I'm trying to build somebody's faith. We're still here. We still have a chance. We still have an opportunity to make it right, to prepare to meet our hero. What will you do tonight? What will you do tomorrow? What will you do next week to prepare? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Give him a hand clap of praise.
1: That's it. Just take a second. Why don't you lift your hands up to heaven right now. God, we love you. We praise you. We appreciate you, God. I know you are merciful. You're compassionate. Yes, Lord, I love you and praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Preparing to meet your hero. God bless you. You can be seated. You're not not necessary to stand. Good, Brother Brad, I appreciate that. I want to read from the book of Hebrews 11, verse 24, start there. I'll go quickly. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, brother Larry, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Praise God. We know that Galatians 5.16 tells us that we walk, we're to walk in the Spirit, and if we do, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lust is a real thing. Lust of the flesh is very real. It's not Hollywood. It's not a fairy tale. It's something that the child of God deals with. We deal with it. The lust of the flesh is real. In all honesty, I struggle with it. But I know I'm not alone. I battle it. I win, but I don't always win. And embarrassing enough, I lose far too often. I want to win that battle every time. Don't you? I I, I want to be Pastor Herring has described this uh, disparity is is a word that's used much like distance. When the high is here and the low is way down here. Brother Anthony, I want to get a little I want to gap some of that distance. I love the highs, but I'm not too fond of the lows. I realize that I appreciate the highs because of the lows. Because as you're making your way up that mountain, when you get to the top, you go, wow, that was hard, but it was worth it. I'll never forget the first time I actually looked at Lazy Mountain. I looked at the sunset. You say, well, how many times did you climb it before you actually looked? A lot. But I sprained my ankle, and I actually had to hobble down. And as I was hobbling down, I got to a point, and I said, I have missed this all these times. I appreciate the high top. I appreciate the mountaintop, knowing I can't stay there. But I'm talking about the disparity, the distance between the two. I want to take some of the the drastic high and low out and bring it a little more manageable. Can I get an amen? Amen. This, I believe, is the result of temperance in my life. It's one of the nine fruits of the Spirit that Galatians talks about Chapter 5, verses 22 for 23, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Temperance is described by Webster as moderation in action. I can talk about being temperate, having self-control, but if I don't exhibit it, brother Carl, that's not self-control. That's just saying I know what I need to do and I don't do it. Anyone ever done that before? <laughs> we all. I know what I need to do, but instead I do the opposite. Paul even talked about that struggle, that fight, the lust of the flesh. The great apostle Paul. But temperance is also habitual moderation. It's not just to where I get to today where I am got self control just today and then lose it tomorrow. But temperance is learning not only today to get some control, but taking it into tomorrow and taking it into the next day and the next day. That's what temperance is all about. It's about moderating, taking the high and the low and bringing it. To where it's more manageable. Trying to control the indulgence of appetites or passions. We're told that temperance was added to knowledge. And then they added patience and then to patience godliness. In 2 Peter 1 verse 6. Talking about building blocks. The importance of temperance. The char... We've been challenged. We want to grow. You want to be part of that that Pastor has said, you want to get in the front row? You really want to see God move in your life? You want change that's genuine, not just comes at a wind for one week and then it's gone, but genuine revival, genuine maturity, genuine growth. It's going to come when I learn to control my fleshly appetites and desires and passions and learn temperance. It's not natural, though I know some people who seem they have got a lot more than others, way more than me. But if we look deep inside, they still got the same struggles you do and the same struggles I do. We have to learn temperance. Moses was a great leader, but he needed to learn temperance. He murdered a man. He smote a rock when he should have just spoke to it. God was dealing with a great leader. Dealing with each of us and every one of us. Learning how to have control over this thing. This blessed temple. In I, I told you Galatians 2 or 5, verses 22 and 23, that word temperance in the CEV, in the CEB, And then he amplified his self-control. Front row. Growth is going to be by learning temperance. It's going to be learning self-control. It's going to be about learning restraint. It's going to be about learning discretion. Another word using it. The the writer of Proverbs, Solomon said 2 verse 11, he said, discretion shall preserve thee. Psalm 112 verse 5 said that a good man, and he goes down to the very end of the verse, he says a good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion, with self-control, with temperance. I want this. We are in a society today that probably no different than really what it was in our forefathers, maybe just a different label. But we are so indulgent. We're so consumed and excessive when it comes to eating, when it comes to, well, I'm sure there's an exception for that. Whether it's eating or, or how about work? People so cons- consumed with work that ooh, I gotta get over overtime, I'm gonna miss church nights, so what's no big deal? No, I wanna learn self control and temperance. And to do that there are things I need. I can't let work guide me. And I realize that there are times when you just have to. But we begin to volunteer and we begin to make excuses for sickness, for work, for uh, events and this and that, it's just pretty soon we're on the outside looking in because we have no self-control. You can't get it out there. How about playing? We take that to the nth degree. Sports, spending, exercising, whatever your label is, it doesn't matter. It's just... We take it to the till it's excessive. I like the way that Paul addressed the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Now remember, they were excessive. What they did, they did excessively. They lived for the world, they were in, in idolatry and pornography and every vile thing you could think of. And God reached down and stirred their hearts by a preacher preaching a message about repentance and forgiveness and newness of life. And they came out of that thing. And Paul said, I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, I would you take the same passion and the same desire that you had living for the world and apply that to the ministry. I just, I just can't understand, Pastor Harry, how people who will close a bar down They'll be the last one to leave, the biggest partier, all the way to the very end. And God saves them, and they go, oh, it's like, it's 7.30. I'm tired. I need to go home. Are you kidding me? You'd stay up till 2.30, 3 o'clock, sometimes never even go to sleep before you went to work and do it again. And now you're tired, and you don't want to go to church. You don't want to go to the altar. You don't want to pray. You don't want to worship. That doesn't make sense to me. And that's what Paul was saying to them. Man, God's brought you so far. Why don't you take that same vigor, that same energy, that same enthusiasm? Why don't you get up off your feet? Why don't you clap your hands? Why don't you raise your voice? You had no problem line dancing, but you got a problem running around the church house. My Lord. It was 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. That's all right. He said, man, I want you to be dedicated to this thing. Put put your effort into this. And so I'm saying tonight, I want consistency. I'm preaching to me. If there's no one else here tonight, I'm preaching to me. I'm talking to me. I'm going to listen to that tape over and over and over again. I want regularity. Uh, I want continence. You ever seen somebody go, Oh, well, I'm eating something healthy? They eat a whole bag of prunes. Yeah, but it's healthy. Yeah, there's going to be some side effects coming. Or the worse, the guy goes and gets a one pound block of cheese and says, Hmm, I think I'll eat some cheese. And that's all they eat. Or four power bars. That's healthy. There's going to be some side effects. Well, I want some consistency, some regularity. Are you getting my drift there? Some balance. If I read 50 pages last week on Monday and I haven't touched my Bible since then, there's something wrong with that. I'm glad you read 50 pages. But what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? The Word of God is still important. I prayed on Sunday before church, but I haven't got on my knees. I haven't spent one minute talking to God since then. Where's the regularity in that? Where's the consistency? Where's the control in that? It's not there. Temperance. Self-control. So I got a couple quick points and I'm done. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 21, I'm going to use this just to kind of talk to you. James one twenty one says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Period. For a second. So my first point is this. Just say no. That's really profound, Brother Plale. No. Nah, it's, it's a simple, it's a really simple. It's not a matter of having a degree It's just making up our minds. We're talking about temperance and self-control. Somewhere along the line, I have to learn, Brother Bubba, to say, No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to listen to that. No, I'm not going to be involved in that. No, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to be that. Just say, no, just lay it aside. We're told to shun vain profanities, babblings. can't even remember where that's at. But we're told to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them. James 4, 7 said, resist the devil. Well, why doesn't God just move the devil out of the way? but i know this when i resist him he goes away when i say no he leaves when jesus was confronted with him after a 40 day fast he said it is written and what he was saying is no i'm not going to do that i don't care who you are what you are what you promise the answer is and N-O. oh i have to learn to say no I know it's wrong. Just say no. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. First point, just say no. Second point, the rest of that verse. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We're talking about temperance. Just say yes. Say no to the devil and to his ways. And say yes to his word. It's his word that will empower me. It's his word that gives me the strength. That's what Jesus used as the weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. We're to seek ye out of the book and read thirty-four sixteen of Isaiah. We're told that it's sharper in four twelve of Hebrews. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's what the Word does in the joints and marrows and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word will change your intents. My intent is to do evil, but the Word begins to talk to me, Brother Larry, and says, don't do that. Don't get involved in that. No backbiting, no rumoring, no gossiping, no tearing down. How about lifting up? <laughs> How about doing something good with words? But the word of God, say yes to that, because it will save your soul. Jeremiah 23, 29 said, It's like a fire. It's like a hammer. And it breaks the rock to pieces. The Psalmist said, It's like a lamp, so to light my pathway in the darkness around me just say yes verse 22 of James I'm trying to finish third point but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves just do it there's one thing to read the word and there's another thing when we do what the word says as I read it if the word says forgive and I go oh that's good and I don't forgive then I haven't done it yet then I'm just like the man described. I look in the mirror and I go, ooh, little gray going there. With some wrinkles. No, yeah, but I'm good. And go and live my own way. I see I'm, I'm lying to myself. So say no to the devil in his way. Say yes to the word of God. And then just do it. Third one. Repentance? Just do it. Forgiveness? Just do it. Yeah, but you don't. No, just do it. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. We're trying to learn temperance and self-control. The word, when it's applied to my life, when I put legs to it, that's what faith is all about. When you say, I got faith, but I don't do anything with it, that's not faith. That's just babbling. But faith with works, now you got something that's working. Every one of those individuals, heroes of faith, were heroes because they put action. Just do it, number three. Fourth point, James 1, verse 25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Just the beginning portion of that. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Fourth point, fine-tune it. Fine-tune it. Because what happens is we have a tendency, we find something we do, and we do it pretty good, then we won't do any of the other things. And so temperance and self-control is about balance, right? So it's about getting word. It's about prayer. It's about submitting. It's about obeying. It's about putting things in it. It's about giving. It's It's so much. And so when we look at this fourth point, it's where we begin to fine tune this thing. I want balance. And balance means that I need to work on all of these areas. I need to look in those areas. You look and you say, man, I need to work on my prayer life. I'm not going to just ignore it uh, because I've got fasting down or I've got my reading schedule down. You don't ignore that because you won't have temperance. (laughs) Temperance comes from balance. You say, oh, well, I read the Bible in a week. Thank you. I'm I'm proud of you. Thank you. Great. But you never pray. It's balance. Putting things in motion. Fourth point, fine-tune it. Get down to the details. And the fifth point is the end of verse 25. He said, This man shall be blessed in his deed. So, first point, just say no to sin, to the devil. Just say yes to the word of God. Obey the word of God. Just do it. Fine tune it. And the fifth one is receive it. Receive it. It's a blessing. God's going to bless that man, that woman, that individual, young, old, seasoned, saint, brand new. When we begin to become balanced, we get self-control. We get uh, more control over our flesh than the flesh has control over us. Remember who we feed? feeding. Who's going to win the battle, Brother Colin? Whoever I feed the most. If I feed my flesh, I fill it up with filthiness and, and perversion and I don't put any God in there or I try to just put a Wednesday service in there. It's not going to be enough. Yeah. Balance. Temperance. Receive it because it's yours. He said, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Temperance. Self-control. Restraint. Discretion. I want you want revival, I promise you, growth, maturity is going to come when we begin to allow those things to be dealt with in our life, my life. Can I get an amen? Stand with me, if you would, please, tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're so good, God. You're so good. I realize that Brother Brad said, preparing to meet our hero. Can't ignore temperance. I got love that's flowing out everywhere. Man, I love everybody, including myself. That's what the Lord is doing right now, giving us the opportunity to prepare, to get ready to meet Him. Is there anybody willing to admit they need help in temperance today? They need help with their self-control, Got issues that they they want to work through. I know you have to work. Many of you have to work tomorrow early. You're more than welcome to leave. You're dismissed. But if you want to hang around a little while and you just want to find a place to pray, just talk to God. Now's the time. Now's the time. Some of us have been putting it off far too long wanting us to grow. God's wanting us to go to the next level. We wonder why we just get to a certain point. We get stagnant. I can't get over that next little step, that next little hurdle, that next place.